On this week's episode, we discuss voting, some of the issues with getting young people out, as well as solutions. We talk about the upcoming announcement from the Attorney General in Kentucky with Breonna Taylor's case. And last, we touch on the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what's to come. Tune in for this week's episode of Empower. Empower is a podcast presented by the Houston Area Urban League that serves to inform young professionals about the Urban League, its programs, and the various civic and social topics pertinent to the community they serve. To the Empower podcast, I am your host, Ray Shad, before and is presented each and every week by the Houston Area Urban League. And today we're joined by two Empower veterans. Uh, we have Ms. Marquia Bordeaux. Uh, and forgive me if I pronounce that wrong, definitely correct me. And Mr. Quentin Giles on the podcast today. These are two of our young professionals, two very civic-minded people, very active in the community. Uh, and they definitely make us at the Urban League proud. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having us. Yes. Absolutely. There's nothing... Uh, more top of mind right now than voting. And so I wanted to jump right into the conversation just because today is National Voter Registration Day. And so I guess to kick us off, you know, for each of you, when you think about voting and its importance, um, what does that, that look like for you respectively? And then we'll kind of talk about, you know, some of the challenges we've been seeing uh, when it comes to engaging our peers. I'll go. Um, so yeah, voting is <clears throat> just super important. Just growing up, that was just something my parents always instilled in me was, um, you know, the importance of voting, making your voice heard, you know, the trials and tribulations of what our ancestors went through to have the right to vote, for women to have the right to vote. Um, and so for me, just um, with everything that's happening this year and the past couple of years, you know, it's just, I can't, see why anyone wouldn't want to vote um it's just we've come to a point where it's it's all like reached a you know a vulnerable point and um so for me it's like 2020 is the most important election of our lives and you know i've been doing everything i can to just make sure the people around me are registered to vote and just instilling in them the importance of voting you know this year and for the years to come yeah yeah you know for me i didn't grow up to be quite honest i didn't really grow up uh civically engaged like my parents or family it wasn't even something that we talked about to be quite honest um it wasn't until i turned 18 i turned 18 the first year of obama's election uh and i wanted to vote because i have remembered learning about presidents you know in in school honestly in fifth grade i'll tell a quick story we we had a mock voting right for fifth grade and we learned about the electoral college and from fifth grade i never understood why that thing was a thing and so even though it wasn't talked about in my family and it really wasn't fleshed out in school either it always rattled me in the back of my head i never could understand why we voted and how it was you know uh why the structure was was like that but i remember participating you know in 2008 to be 100 percent honest i voted for barack obama because he was black and i was 18 and it was time to vote uh but since then my self-education on voting and the importance has expanded you know dramatically um from the federal down to the state level and so for me it really is about being uh civically engaged 
And for me, even more so, it's about my dollar. Um, the way I look at voting is I pay taxes and my taxes employ politicians and those politicians get to create laws and regulations that I must abide by. Mm -hmm. So I literally pay people to tell me what to do. And so if that is the case, again, that's how I see it. If that is the case, then my voice needs to be heard because I like to know what my money going and what my money going to. So I kind of feel like I've already prepaid for my vote ever since I started working at 16. I've been paying for it. So I'm not letting my money go to waste and I'm going to go vote. That is, um, I think that's an awesome way of looking at it, Quentin. Yeah. And, you know, Marquia, your, your comment, you made me think about something in past years there's been a lot of messaging about you know each election they they think make the theme that you know this is the most important election of our lives and i think the reality is that what i've learned is every election is the most important election of your life just because progress is always on the ballot your future is always on the ballot and you never know what circumstances may arise where the people that are in leadership will be faced with a decision uh, that will literally impact your life. I mean, we didn't know a pandemic was coming, but now the people that we have elected, uh, whether we voted for them or not, they are, I got an alert earlier today, the threshold you know, tied to the coronavirus, it finally uh, surpassed 200,000 people yeah. that have died from that virus. So I think that that definitely helps to set the table and Quentin, some of the things that you spoke to when it comes to really connecting the dots on why your vote is important um, mm -hmm. and that it's, you know, something that you're paying for. So you might as well yeah. make sure that you're getting the most out of it. Yeah. Uh, that's That was an excellent point. And so as you guys, I know both of you have been on the front lines engaging people and talking to your peers about, uh, being registered to vote, and of course, you know, the upcoming election. What are some of the challenges or things that you're hearing on the ground when it comes to why people may or may not want to engage in the process? Um, I'll go again. So, and, and to, to, to Quentin's point too, which was, I forgot to bring up, but yeah, 2008 was my first time being eligible to vote, and that was Barack Obama. Um, I was a sophomore at Prairie View and, you know, Prairie View out in Waller County, everyone knows that they're historically, you know, try to suppress the votes um, of the students. And I remember we marched all the way from Prairie View to Waller County Courthouse, which was like, I don't even know how many miles, but I know it took us all day to get there. But, um, you know, it was just the, the, the historical, it was just so historical with the first black president being out on campus at the time at HBCU where our votes are literally being suppressed and just having to fight for that. So from that moment of my first time voting, you know, it's just been like, the importance is just always there. And, and, and Bray, to your question, you know, some of the challenges I think that I've seen with some of my family members and my peers has just been like a loss of, um, what's the word, just a loss of faith in the system sort of speak, like it's just like people feel so just depleted um, from just seeing what the past four years have brought with just the, um, you know, Democrat versus Republican or, you know, whatever party you are, but just 
just the the nastiness, the unethicalness, the immoral Im people being immoral, pretty much. And you know, I've I've I have sisters who are like, I'm not going to vote. You know, and these are like we've grown up having these conversations and our parents being like super pro-black and you know all about civic engagement to them now in this moment, like not even feeling like their vote matters. And so for me, it's just been having those conversations and you know, trying to be open-minded and like explaining like this is so important, like your vote matters, our ancestors fought for this, but um, really ultimately like people are gonna make the decision they want and all we can do is just keep having the conversation and stressing you know how important voting is and being being engaged civically yeah i would i would piggyback that i think that's the number one thing that i keep hearing too people are kind of like either overwhelmed or tapped out um just seeing how things have gone um there are i will say this as well there are a lot of purity tests that are going on and so holding um i don't know if we can be partisan right now but holding uh certain politicians past records against them as opposed to looking at the evolution of a person and where they are today versus you know the other side of where they are today and trying to compare that um as equitably as possible um and and, and a lot a lack of education and just not knowing why it's important or not seeing the value um of their voice you know it makes me think of one of my younger brothers who it's just completely tapped out, you know, and I tried to explain to him, you know, certain reasons why he needs to be tapped in. He recently just had a run in with HPD to where <laughs> from what he was telling me, it, it sounded terrible. Like they yanked my brother out of the car and all just a bunch of stuff. Right. Just a lot of stuff. But I'm like, you know, you do vote for these local and federal leaders. So like if there are certain things, we may think this is wrong, but if there's no change in certain structures, based on your vote, then this thing could either happen to you again or to or happen to someone else, right? So I think it's just a lack of education or a lack of really seeing how um, either detrimental or consequential your vote is. And even on a local level, mm -hmm. and I think there's, there's people who, you know, there's like the presidential election, which everyone's like, we got to vote for that. We got to vote. It's presidential mm -hmm. election. You know? And I think people don't understand the importance of voting on a local level because you're talking about you know issues with your police department or yeah. you know um having uh, eviction moratoriums things like that that are helping the people that you're not engaging on a local level and then you're getting these politicians it's you know it's not just houston it's all over you know mm -hmm. where you have politicians who don't have the interests of the people in mind you know yeah. but we're ignoring those elections and then we want to complain about it but it's like there's more than just the 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 you know presidential election every four years there's our primaries there's everything that you need to be engaged in on a local level and that's also comes with education and just having those conversations and stressing the importance of of that yeah but i think the oh I, no, quick, but I, I think the environment a lot of people tap out as well because the environment is toxic and so people view their vote as politics right in this in this broader sense of what politics is and seeing the sniping back and forth and they don't want to get involved in the toxicity mm -hmm. and they link their vote so much on that toxicity which to to some respect it is linked right because you vote for those people who then are up there fighting but not really stepping back to realize that they are also although they're linked they're also separate as well so i think that's that's another thing yeah, and you know what? 
one of the things you both touched on was your first time voting and it was for former president Barack Obama. I was not as fortunate, you know, the first time I voted uh, was in 2004 as a freshman at Morehouse College. I voted for John Kerry. And um, that, I think, when you guys both lit up and you spoke about the ability to cast that vote, and even Quentin, you said, quite frankly, um, I voted for him because he was black. Part of the issue, partisan or not, is candidates don't look like us. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to get black people, I think Hispanic people, our demographic, excited when there are candidates that don't look like us and don't resonate with us. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, from a presidential, because that's what everybody tends to focus on in this season, at the top of the ticket, neither one of these candidates looks like us. it's it's basically you know two what are they both 70 year old white men Mm -hmm. um and so when you come into the neighborhoods um trying to encourage people to vote it doesn't connect and so i think the the better approach or the thing that helps to resonate more is to educate them as marquis was kind of speaking to is everything that is on the ballot And even thinking back to our municipal election last fall, I think it was around 12% of our registered voters participated in that election to elect our mayor, to elect our city council. And so when you fast forward to now in 2020, people are definitely upset about different things, especially we've seen police reform, social justice being very much in the news cycle Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, you know, did you vote? We had, I think, at least 60,000 60, people show up for that march with George mm-hmm. Floyd um, at the top of the summer. But, you know, how many of those people did or did not vote? I know there were organizations yeah. like Pure Justice, one of our community partners, that were out there doing voter registration. Um, mm-hmm. We partnered with one of my Morehouse brothers who was issuing masks. And... It's just, you know, there's so many levels of engagement that people have to participate in the entire process. I know we've had YPs that showed up to speak at a city council virtual. Like I've seen so much activity that's come out of that. Um, And so one, I think we have to do a better job of connecting and educating people on the entire process, how it all works together. Um, But since we know some of those issues, you know, what would you say are some of the other solutions? Like, how do we continue to get them motivated and engaged to vote? Because, you know, we've been working at this for a while, but you know, when we get in this window, um, we just got to get them to the polls. And so yeah. how how do we do that? Yeah, I think, well, there is it's no one one solution. I think it's, it's a multi, multi-pronged approach. Um, I think getting to the polls, obviously, or not even obviously, because some people may not know, we need to increase um, access to the ballot, whether that's uh, continuing early, uh, early voting, um, if that's mail-in voting, all of those things that make it easier um, to vote. I dare even say have a national uh, voters day holiday where people can take off. I mean, that is how I, I don't understand why it is so difficult to vote, but that is like the pillar that our our um, 
country stands on. So I think that's one thing. I think also the other thing is like talking to people in languages that they understand. And at the beginning of this, I know you you mentioned, you know, black women will turn out to vote, but we got to get our black men out there, right? And that is really one of the reasons why I talk about my vote the way I do. Um, because I know, and not to put all guys in the same brushstroke, but guys care about money, right? They care about finances, whether that's to go out, keep up their home, keep up their car, whatever the case may be. I think guys are a little more mo money focused than women. And that's not a sexist comment. I'm just saying what I see. And so that's why I try to address my vote the way I do to connect with something or to connect with other guys, uh, um, to show them that this thing is linked, right? This thing, if you care about where your dollar's going, if you care about, you know, how much your wife's spending, your this, your this, well, you're actually spending for these people to put laws in place that could harm your son or your children, right? So I think when we start uh, taking a step back and trying to connect this voter education to things that people care about instead of the same old tropes that clearly have not worked, just telling us to vote for the sake of voting because it's the it's the the scariest election this year, but to your point, every election is like the biggest election, right? Um, I think that would drastically change the idea and the perception of what voting is and what it should be. Also, uh, this is my last point and I'll, I'll pass it over to Marquia. I think that we need more people, to your point again, that look like us to vote, but I'm, I'm, I dare say we need to get rid of this purity test that we put people through and realize that there will never be a perfect candidate. I don't care. I love Barack Obama. I still didn't agree with everything that he did. But I defend him and t Shell to the end. <laughs> so I think we have to get away from this purity test. Like, it's annoying sometimes that, well, they did this and they did that. And I'm like, well, can we put these things into context? What was going on at that time that they did that? You know, where were we as a society? It's easy to look back on somebody and point out their faults. And we should do that. And we should have conversations with that, but we also have to look at the progression of these candidates as well. And so I think the more young people get involved, the more candidates that look like us get involved, the more we do away with purity tests and try to start tearing down that ideology around the purity test, I think that would really increase voter participation. And that is why Quentin is my best friend. <laughs> I agree with all of it. I look, I have a list. He, he just hit every single point, but I agree. Oh. I, I, I think number one for me, it starts too with our education system. Like we, and especially, I can't speak of anyone else, but in Texas, we, our education system, we do not focus on um, like voting and finances and your credit and all of these things that we need to know about and be well-versed in when it comes to being an adult and like walking through society. So I think from an education standpoint, um, to, you know, having courses on on voting and, and the Constitution, like, I didn't learn about constitutional law until I started law school. Like, how is it that the fundamental, like, law, you know, building block of this country, we don't know anything about it. No one knows what the 19th Amendment is or the 20th, like, no one knows that, you know? Um, so it's the education system. And I think, too, when voting is so, like, it's such a taboo topic. Like, no one wants to talk about voting or it's like you shy away from it or if you're at work you're like i don't want to bring up voting i don't want to bring up politics and i think we have to take out like the you know the the political side of voting and just talking about just being engaged in the process like exercising your right you know going to the polls like quentin said making it a national holiday like making it something that this country you know 
like mobilizes around. But I think historically, the reason why, you know, there's not a lot of voter turnout for um, Hispanic and Black Americans and just, you know, the younger people is because it's that's the way the system was designed, you know, just going to say it, white people and the older white people, they're going to show up to vote, even the older black people, they're going to show up to vote. But it's just like in this country, there's not an emphasis on voting and being engaged, you know what I mean? Um, and and a, another point to what Quentin said was just like mail-in voting, making that an easier process. Um, and just it, voting should not be hard. You shouldn't have to like take the day off from work and, you know, use your PTO hours to go stand in line to vote. You should be able to be off from work that day and be able to go in and if it takes eight hours, it takes eight hours, but at least you know you're off from work and you won't be penalized for it. Yeah. Um, so just making access easier, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, something just came to mind when you said this, um, I, as far as getting, because people got to get registered first, right, before they vote. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I got asked to be a part of this group called Talk the Vote, right? Especially we're talking about younger people. So this was on TikTok, right? Even in the, the midst of this past week when we didn't know if it was going to stay or go or whatever. We know a ton of young people are on TikTok. So I got approached by this group called Talk the Vote that wanted to do this massive voters registration drive across TikTok. We all change our icons to the same logo. We put the voters registration link in, the, um, in our bios and we all, you know, stick true to the kind of content that we all create and we just want to turn out the vote, right? So we did that for one weekend and they tracked our individual links. And this is not a boast to me, but it just made me think about how different we could start doing stuff. I got 75 people registered just by the link and me talking about it on my TikTok in the way that I do. I personally would never get that many people if I was out on the street doing a voter's registration drive. I'm not saying that there's not room still for voter's registration drives in person, but I also think that we that are engaged, we that are trying to bring more people into the poll have to be a little bit more, more strategic about what we're doing and the demographic we're trying to reach. And so I'm thankful that they, you know, brought me along. And I think I can't remember the number of people they said we got registered, but it was it was a lot because all of the creators they brought together collectively, we had 200 million followers. So that means 200 million people all saw the same thing for one weekend and all were registered. And I'm one person that got 75. And so I just think we it's incumbent upon us. We have to be a little more strategic in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I love that. No, those are excellent points. And it, this is going to be an ongoing conversation in the coming weeks all the way up through Election Day. Um, but one of the other things that, you know, we don't want people to lose sight of from a national perspective that is going to have local implications mm -hmm. is the case of Breonna Taylor. And so we were talking, mm -hmm. you know, earlier before we started about the fact that there's a lot of news coming out um, and even people texting me um, about them setting blockades and, you know, seven block radius kind of in preparation for this announcement that's coming from the AG, uh, the attorney general there, Daniel Cameron in Kentucky. Um, and I know you both have very strong thoughts about this. Um, and, you know, we have been fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor for months at this point um there was a, a civil settlement um yeah. i think in the amount of 12 million dollars mm -hmm. and marquia yeah. immediately pointed out that you know this was taxpayer dollars um yeah. that is going towards this and you know i just want to 
get both of your respective thoughts as we brace for um, what that announcement is going to be? I mean, I, I could talk about this all day, but ooh, it, for me, it's just, um, number one, we just need, need to reimagine policing in our communities. I think we've, we've gotten way far away from the way that um, the, the power structure, the, the power dynamic between officers and our communities, like we, our taxpayers, our tax dollars fund the police department, it funds the city, it funds all of these different entities within our, within our, within our city and our municipalities. And I don't know where that shift has happened, where police officers and police departments think that they are like the big bosses who just boss around the citizens and bust through our doors, like in Brianna Taylor's case, um, and shoot her up and, and murder her, and then there's no accountability. Like there has to be, a, a, we have to come to like, I, I don't even know, like we just need to have reform. Um, we need to hold officers accountable. I know that they have hard jobs and I'm, I'm working on myself to not have so much anger towards police officers, but really all we've been seeing is just an over, overreach of power and no accountability. And so that's one. Um, but with Breonna Taylor, it's just, it's heartbreaking because I, you know, there are times when I'm just like laying in my bed and I'm just like, I think about her and I'm like, she was literally laying in her bed and that could be me. That could be anyone that could be, you know, just like a Tatiana Jefferson out of Dallas. Like she was, you know, playing video games with her nephew and all of a sudden, you know, an officer just shoots through the window and, and kills her. And there's been no accountability for that. And you know, it's just frustrating because you you see with like with Louisville, they're, you know, preparing for them to make some announcement. And we, you know, we know that there wasn't an indictment brought, you know, and in the legal world, there's a saying that, you know, you can indict a ham sandwich. And that basically means like you could get an indictment for anything because it's a one sided presentation of evidence like the, the district attorney or the attorney general goes before the grand jury, they present the evidence, they argue their case, and the, the grand jury will bring forth an indictment really for anything. And so what this tells me, we have to wait for the information and obviously the press conference, but um, you know, I strongly feel like they're not gonna bring an indictment. And to me, that tells me everything I need to know about the criminal justice system and the way that police officers have complete impunity to do whatever they wanna do and no accountability for their actions. And it's frustrating. Yeah, I concur with all of that. And that was such a good point that the, the settlement <clears throat> paid to the family was taxpayer dollars. And I, I me personally, I felt kind of weird that day because I didn't know. I saw people online saying like, no, don't take the money. I saw people saying, yes, take the money and move. And, you know, honestly, I had to step back and be like, at that point, when we're talking about settlement into the family, what they choose to do is what they choose to do. And we need to just respect that, you know. Um, and that's just on period on that point. Now, as far as, um, you know, what's happening in them pr prepared, like pre-preparing, right? They're kind of, in a. I don't know if this is a sign to us, but we can take it as a sign, right? That they are preparing. They are getting ready for something that we don't know. And so my question becomes, you know, what is it that they're getting ready for? Um, to, and to Marquia's point, it seems as though there won't be an indictment, which means that people are going to take to the street like they have been. I don't think the Breonna Taylor protests have ever stopped. Uh, I think until freedom, uh, I think they've been out there every day. So it's not like they've stopped, but I think that they are preparing for an uptick. 
Um, now, what that tells me, or what, what I have several different thoughts about it. One, um, as we were talking about, I kind of want to tell people to not protest, right? To not give them what they think is about to happen. Um, and we know what's going to happen. People will protest, and then ultimately the environment will be created at that night for people to riot and loot and be destructive, whether they're a part of the protest or outside agitators. The, the environment will be created for those things. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's like, I kind of want to tell people not to protest so that we don't have the environment. But at the same time, I dare not try to take any way anybody's constitutional right to go out there and make their voice heard. So I think it's really a lose-lose situation and to tie that into voting, like this is, this is absolutely why we need to vote because we vote for attorney generals of the state, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think Kentucky actually has a, a Democratic mayor and for the first time in a couple of years, they have a Democrat, uh, yeah, they do have a Democratic mayor, they do, and, but they have a Republican attorney general. And so that man in that position was either, was voted on, but then it begs the question how many people actually participated in the vote. And so if we stop or if we educate people to not only look at the presidential election, but to look at uh, these other positions that play critical, critical positions in our everyday lives um, from policing and just to all, all kinds of things, right? Then um, we could avoid a lot um, we could avoid a lot of this. We, we really, really could avoid a lot of the mishap. We could avoid a lot of the carnage. Um, and Marquia, to your point, I'm trying not to hold anger against police officers too. I even found, I found myself a couple of weeks ago walking up on the side of my car pretending to be a cop, right? I'm like, well, what do they see when they walk up on my car? Like, what does this look like? Let me try to put myself in their positions because it is a dangerous job. I don't discount that. But I also think that there have to be certain reforms put into place because it is such a dangerous job. From my understanding, cops only get one psychological evaluation and that's when they're coming in the door for hiring. You put your life on the line literally every day. No one's discounting that. I think you probably need to see a therapist more than once in your career. That, that's like a simple, easy reform to check on how your mental health is doing, check on your biases, all those things. I also think that you know we need to put in reforms to where cops are not answering every call. Now, I'm a former, well, not, I'm not a former social worker, once a social worker, always a social worker, but I don't know if I completely subscribe to social workers going on cop calls with them, but you know, there are things that we can work out. There are things that we can try to figure out what, what's appropriate. And so, um, again, just to tie that back into voting, we have to vote and exercise that power so we can get the people in the positions that will advocate for us and start to create those policies, procedures, and laws that would um, help us in this in this struggle fight. Yeah, we can totally shape our society in whatever way we want to shape our society. But it's just like mm -hmm. how 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 like how big is your imagination? How much work are you willing to do? You know, yeah. to make your city, make your state, make your country better. And it just seems sometimes I feel like, and I mean, Ray joke about this all the time, because I do, I am radical, but I'm, I'm changing it to being, I'm revolutionary. I'm revolutionary. I'm not radical, but it's like having, having the mindset of like, we don't have to live like this. We don't have to worry about these things. Are you guys as black men who get pulled over? You shouldn't have to be afraid to, you know, okay, do I need to reach for my registration? Like, what do I do? 10 and two, you know, like, why do we have to live like that? And so it's all about just reimagining policing and reimagining society and it goes directly to voting and exercising your constitutional right and holding people accountable and if you're not going to if you're not going to show up 
for the taxpayers, then you will be a one-term politician and yeah. you'll be out of here quicker than you were sworn into office, you know, so. And that's, that's the mindset that I ultimately feel like we need to take because I've been, you know, having a lot of these conversations, writing down some of my thoughts and I'm pretty much at a stage now where I think we do need to adopt not only what Quentin was speaking to around the purity test, because I always tell people there is no perfect person, there's no perfect politician. Um, you know, there's plenty of people I have supported for office and they get in office and they do something I don't agree with, but that doesn't mean I throw the entire person away. Um, there may this be this specific issue um, that we don't agree on. And everybody has non-negotiables where, you know, that's just not something that we can uh, agree to disagree on and you still represent me. And in that case, we need to continue to vote them out every cycle until we get a better class of not just politician or elected official, but also going back to Quinn's point about taxpayer dollars, public servants, because you're there ultimately to serve the public, the people that um, pay for you to be in these roles. Um, I, and Marquis, when you said about me and Quinn being black men getting pulled over, I started to like reflect on the times when I have been pulled over. It's almost like this out of body experience. And you're thinking about all the things that, yep. at least for me, like my father has told me, like, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I not, you know, making any sudden movements? Where is my license? Where's my insurance? Turning the car off. You know, it's, yeah. And that's, that's not where I'm trying to go with the conversation today, but it's, it is, it's, it shouldn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And so how do we reimagine these things, these systems? Part of it is, to Quinn's point, through voting. You know, the people that we're putting in office, what are they saying? What is their record? What are they trying to ultimately implement? And I think it brings me to my, my last and final point, because we've talked about a lot of different positions, elected officials, et cetera. Uh, but we just lost one of, you know, the most influential um, and life-changing women in the history of our country. We're talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Supreme Court Justice. She just passed on Friday, September the 18th. Um, more recently known in the culture as the notorious RBG. Um, and so I wanted to, as we get ready to close out the conversation, get both of your thoughts on that and, you know, the road ahead. I'll let Quentin go because I'm literally almost in tears. So you go ahead. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, I, one, it hit me, right? Like I was on a Zoom call laying on my couch and I happened to cock my head right and I saw the headline on the TV and I literally hung up the Zoom call, didn't tell nobody bye. <laughs> I just got off. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it hit me for a few reasons. Um, to be quite honest, um, the presidency in which we're living in, there a lot of guardrails have eroded. And um, what I have learned in these past four years is that we don't really have a lot of laws to protect uh, or to protect us, the citizens, from an from a outrageous executive, right? We just have a lot of norms. And it's only a, it, the norm only continues if one buys into the norm. And so we've seen this president like obliterate norms. 
And so you look to certain guardrails to kind of keep them in check to make sure, you know, we don't turn into like this autocratic society. Um, we look to the Justice Department, which one could say Ruth Bader is in as well as the Supreme Court, but the Justice Department, is, as far as DOJ, one, one could say it's corrupted. You know, you look at the USPS, one could say it's corrupted. Um, you look at all these different branches and the one thing, the one guardrail, even if you look at the Senate and the Congress, which is kind of just all over the place, there's supposed to be a check, a check and balance, right? But the one thing that we had uh, was the Supreme Court, especially with John Roberts being almost like a swing vote in this last session. And so RBG being on the court, not only historic for women and fighting for women's um, equity and rights. And, and I've had many conversations about people who don't agree with every position, you know, that she stood on. Um, but we also can't deny um, the equality that she ushered in and fought for, for women. Um, one might say that that was the last guardrail. <laughs> that was it. Even, even looking at the 2020 election and will it go to the Supreme Court because it might be contested and we all have flashbacks, even though we were probably kids when the last election was contested and, and Bush won and, and all of that, right? So RBG passing has so many different implications, not only that it was a person and, and she was notorious RBG, as you say, and she died, but it's like so many things are now up in the air for minority rights and, and, and the disadvantaged rights. And um, just what, what does it look like now that we've lost one seat? Um, because that was a liberal seat Trump appointing the other two justices were conservative seats already. But this is a gain, um, and, and this might be a 6-3 type of court. And so I think for me, at least, it is concerning because I don't know what that looks like as far as civil rights for people who look like me. Um, because once the Supreme Court says this, that's what it is. And so that's, that's where the, the gut punch of RBG for me uh, really hits. I, 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 I was hoping she would wrap us up up in some bubble wrap and just hang on to the next year. You know, I kept saying, sis, don't get the COVID because, you know, she likes to work out and all that stuff or likes to. But, um, but yeah, that, that is my deepest concern, what a 6-3 court um, looks like, even with John Roberts being a swing vote. But at that point, his swing vote won't matter anymore. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I'm, I was, I cried. I, I told you I had shed so many tears. I was like, <sighs> this was the one thing in 2020 that I was like, just, and I knew I was like, the way 2020 is going, yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna keep praying for the good sis. But yeah, she, um, she was just a, a powerhouse of a woman just for me being in law school and just reading, you know, the opinions that she wrote and the dissenting opinions and like, she, she didn't play, like she wasn't, at one point she was the only woman on the Supreme Court until um, Sotomayor and Kagan came along, but she was not intimidated by the men. She was like, I'm gonna stand my ground. I'm gonna fight for civil rights. I'm gonna fight for women. And was, you know, she made it known in her opinions. And I just, I really admired her um, just for how intelligent she was and just how, um, you know, unafraid she was. And so, you know, RIP to her, but you know, like, like, like Quentin said, it's just really this year civil rights is on the ballot and that's civil rights for any group, LGBTQ, women, black people, immigrants, like every type of different issue that you can think of is on the ballot. 
when it comes to the Supreme Court. We, I personally feel like, you know, um, they, they will, Trump will appoint someone and they will confirm someone probably prior to election. And at this point, you know, the Senate has a majority and there's this whole conversation about, you know, the nuclear option with Democrats and like the filibuster and, you know, kind of pretty much just throwing away the whole tradition and the precedence that's been set in this country from keeping like a nine person Supreme Court, you know, is our Democrats, if they win the Senate, are the, you know, or, you know, if we keep the House, like, are they going to move for 10 or 11 Supreme Court justices? It's happened in the past. It can happen again. Um, I think the way 2020 is going, I am not putting it past anything to happen at this point. Um, but I'm, I'm just devastated for what this could mean for, you know, for people who've just been vulnerable throughout history and, um, yeah, I'm just going to keep praying about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, and I've been reading and, and watching a lot of things on the topic as it relates to RBG and now her, her vacant seat and the appointment and then playing back the audio and the video of, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham, mm -hmm. his counterparts, the, the same justifications and reasons they used for not taking up then President Obama's um, appointment or, or selection, Merrick Garland for even consideration. And this was 10, 11 months prior mm -hmm. to the end of his term. And now we're in this, um, how many more days? Well, I, think we're, I think we're 42 days. 42 like days. 43, 42 days. 40, okay, from the election. And they're trying to rush it through or potentially holding off for political reasons and then doing it immediately after the election during a lame duck uh, session. And Quinn, I think you made an excellent point. And this is something I've had some very contentious conversations around politics with some of my elders. Um, all of these things that President Trump has been doing, it's not that it's... Some of it is illegal. Let's be clear. Oh, so, correct. Yes. So, so <laughs> correct. some of it is illegal, but then there are other things that these checks and balances that they say are in place, honestly, are just norms. And if people yeah. choose not to follow them, then mm -hmm. there are not enough guardrails in place to protect the American people and the integrity mm -hmm. of what this country aspires to be. Yes. So... We, we definitely need to stay in prayer, stay vigilant. Uh, it's a situation we'll continue to monitor. Uh, do either of you have any last words before we close out today? I have one final thing before we get off, but. I, I just wanted to quickly, cause I know we're wrapping up, but I just want to quickly, you know, this was one of the things that Trump talked about with his campaign was like, filling the, re, reshaping the whole judiciary, you know, so like from on the federal level. And I, I just think, I don't, I don't think people understand the importance of federal judges. Like these are lifetime appointments. And when we're talking about um, qualified immunity and all of these different issues that are going to go to get to the Supreme Court, you've got to get through the federal courts. You have to get through these like smaller courts to get up to that point. And he has literally packed the courts. I mean, more than I think it's any other, I think there's one more president who appointed more judges and I can't remember 
Carter or someone, but um, he's just packed the court and that was one of his promises. And Mitch McConnell, you know, he stood up there in front of the Senate and was like, we're gonna pack the court, that's gonna be our thing. If we don't pass any of the legislation, we're gonna appoint and we're gonna confirm these judges no matter what, and that's what they've done. And so, you know, right now we're just seeing his campaign promise, he's keeping his promise to his, you know, to his people and, um, you know, we, we've just got work to do, so. Um, that's my my little point and I don't have anything else to add just pray for me I'll pray for you guys keep working keep registering people to vote fill out the census and you know just stay vigilant yeah I mean Marquia said everything uh I guess if, if my only other thing is just like with us that are in in this work find ways to talk to people that resonates with them um old talking points don't work they didn't work on me <laughs> they don't work on me, you know, even with my conversations with some elders and it gets, you know, contentious, even at this point with me trying to challenge, you know, some stances on Biden and it's like, just shut up and do. Well, I'm actually going to vote for him anyway, but that doesn't really help me. Like me, I'm already involved. So I'm like, I'm already going to do that. But you talk to the next person who's not that involved, you might have potentially just turned away a voter. So I think that, you know, us that are in the work, that, that are doing this work, we really do need to um, find ways to talk to people on a human level that they would understand to get them involved. And that's my spiel. No, I think that's a excellent way to close it out. And the only thing that I wanted to continue to put at the top of people's minds is the census. We have eight days left to get as many people counted as possible. You know, we can't make that money back up. You're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars for our communities. Again, a portion of it comes out of your tax dollars. So it is money that is ultimately owed to you. And so we need everybody to get counted, specifically in Houston and Harris County. I know Greens Point, Gulfton, North Shore, parts of Third Ward, Fifth Ward, Independence Heights. These are just some of the neighborhoods that still we need to get those numbers up. Uh, these are neighborhoods that are primarily full of black and brown people. So we need to make sure that we get counted to get our neighborhoods what they need. Marquia, Quentin, thank you both. Always a pleasure. Uh, this wasn't the first time and it won't be the last time. This has been Empower and next week we will see you all live. To learn more about how the Houston Area Urban League is impacting the community and ways you can get involved, visit us online at haul.org, follow us on Twitter at HOU Urban League, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcasting platform you enjoy. Thanks for listening to Empower, presented by the Houston Area Urban League.